Welcome to the OA Light a Candle meeting podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you'll find several speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Janet. Hi, I'm Janet, compulsive reader. Hi, I want to thank Susan for asking me to come out and speak tonight. You know, we Valleyites like to get an option to leave every now and then come over to the west side. Hi, Roy. Um, uh, let's see. Um, I'm always interested in the, in the stats, so I'll tell you that um, my top weight was 300 pounds. I'm a 100-pounder. Um, I came out of 20-year relapse um, 18 months and six days ago, but who's counting? <laughs> and I am humbled and grateful beyond measure for the program of Overeaters Anonymous. Um, my story... Um, My story really um, is a winding road, a very, very winding road. I first, um, um, I first came to understand that there was some kind of problem with food and myself when my parents tried to get me to diet when I was 14. I was about 15 or 20 pounds overweight. I was extremely top-heavy and um, just looked out of balance, and then I had the stomach, and, and you know, um, they were acting like um, I had, um, you know, killed someone, you know, that I had put this weight on, and they literally put me in the hospital. I had my pituitary gland tested, um, but they weren't dramatic in the least. Um, the... Um, the point at which it became a problem for me was when I um, hit adulthood and I um, was engaged and wanted wanted to be thin for my wedding and I, I actually engaged in my first diet on my own. Um, and um, this was the lemon yogurt and a tiger's milk bar for lunch diet and nothing else the rest of the day. So that worked really well for as long as it took to fit into the wedding dress, and then began the yo-yoing. And I spent um, oh gosh, you know, three years trying to figure out what was wrong with me, and. I went to work um, here in Brentwood for um, a gal at a company on San Vicente who happened to be a sober member of another program. And she was horrified. Every time she went into my desk drawers, she'd find candy bars. And um, my morning snack had turned into a tuna sandwich with, you know, sugary coffee and the whole nine yards. And then I went out for a full lunch. And um, she was not a shy retiring flower, and she basically said, "You got a problem? I'm taking you to OA." And um, she took and 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 take me to OA. She did. So I got to my first meeting, 
uh, in um, January of um, 1980, and I got to work with a sponsor. Um, I lost. Um, uh, I lost my weight. I, w I only had 30 pounds to lose at that point. I lost my weight. I um, uh, started to act out um, from, you know, stuff of my family of origin, and I gained my weight back, and I was trying to figure out what had gone wrong because I'd been on this honeymoon, and it had seemed like it was so easy, and you know, abstinence was just granted me. And unfortunately for me, I couldn't find my way back. I kept, you know, starting over and starting over and starting over. And for um, about six years, I um, went to another food program, and um, one that was very rigid and um, that I wasn't able to do successfully for very long. And in my frustration, I said, OA doesn't work, and I left the rooms. So if you're sitting in a chair tonight in this room, I'm here to tell you that the, the only mistake you can make is leaving the rooms. Because if you're here in the room and you bring the body, eventually the mind will follow. And um, while I was out there doing a lot of work um, is when I... Um, I was facing um, some very serious childhood issues and um, steadily gaining weight while I was doing the work. So I was being treated for post-traumatic stress disorder and I was using food to comfort myself. And um, there was a point at which I simply accepted that. I just accepted that this was going to be my path and that I was going to be morbidly obese. And um, I had spent my whole life trying to be thin. And what was the result? The result was now I'm 300 pounds. And I don't have the courage to begin again. And at that point, my doctor did an intervention. And um, this is my story. This is not... Um, I'm not uh, encouraging anyone to do what I did, but in my case, I did have weight loss surgery. And I had the weight loss surgery, I lost 100 pounds, and then began the struggle. And for nine years, I was going up and down and up and down and up and down in my weight. And the insanity had returned, and... I had had reconstructive surgery. I I'd spent double digits of thousands of dollars to reconstruct my body after losing the 100 pounds, and now I was pushing out of that. And I felt so powerless, so incredibly powerless. And I... You thought about coming back to meetings for some support. And I thought about it for a good long while, and I did nothing. And what wound up happening for me was that I, I was fortunate enough to hit a true surrender, a true bottom, without getting back to 300 pounds. And I was able to ask this God that I didn't believe in to help me 
because I was eating candy out of control. I mean, out of control in mass quantities and um, suffering from debilitating anxiety, which the sugar only feeds. And I'd been disabled for for four and a half years at that point. And when I asked for the help, I knew that it had been granted. Something happened inside of me, and I knew that it had been granted. And so I called the only person that I still knew who was in Overeaters Anonymous, and I said, I need to call my phone. I need to call my phone. I need to call my food into you. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know anybody else. You know, will you help me? And she said yes. And she said, meet me at the 7:30 meeting on Sunday morning. Now that was beyond any lens for me. 7:30 in the morning. That was just. And I heard myself say, "Okay, I will." And then I hung up the phone and looked at it because, you know, I got up at the crack of 8:30 on a weekday, and you know, I I didn't know how that was going to happen. So I thought about calling her on Saturday to say, "You know, that really doesn't work for me. Is there another meeting we could work?" we could meet at and you know I never made that phone call I just got up and I showed up to that 730 meeting and I stepped into a room full of um, OA members in recovery there were I don't know 150 people in there and most of them were at their natural normal weight Um, most of them had long-term abstinence Um, there were a lot of newcomers there people taking chips and everybody was talking about not eating no matter what. And not eating no matter what is what I needed to hear. And the fact that um, these people engaged in, um, in um, being social after the meeting and going to coffee and extending their hands to newcomers and their fellows and, you know, um, I don't see that at every meeting, so that was really an an incredible gift for me to try and get my feet wet again in terms of, you know, remembering all that I'd forgotten. And I had forgotten. I mean, I went to a um, big book study twice a week for 10 years. I knew that book inside and out. And when I started reading it again, it was like an old friend. But in those intervening years, I didn't have that wisdom. I didn't have that knowledge at my fingertips anymore. I was um, behind the veil, as we used to say. And when you're on the other side of that veil, um, it's impossible to remember what it feels like to be abstinent. And being abstinent, for me, is about a lifestyle. It's not just the food. It's not just that we don't compulsively overeat no matter what. It's all the things that we do so that the obsession does not return. And for me, that became turning my entire life around and it was one little step at a time and one of the things that I used to hear in the rooms that 
has occurred to me recently is that discipline is love. And I have learned to become disciplined in my life and to have follow through. Now, for the 20 years that I was gone from these rooms, just these rooms, I was in other rooms, but just from the OA rooms, I was unable to um, keep my word. If I made a plan with someone, it was always on the, on the um, uh, condition that I could cancel at the last minute. I had, you know, aches and pains. Didn't you know I might not feel like it? I might not be able to. I might not be well. I have discovered that in a year and, you know, eight months of being um, abstinent, I haven't had to cancel anything. And I missed one day of work because I had surgery. Um, it turned out to be much more minor than anticipated, and I was able to return after missing one shift. And when I make a plan with someone today, uh, my intention is I'm going to be there, and I'm there. I don't always feel like it, but I do what I say, and I say what I do. And it comes from having a plan for my life, because what is life? It's a day. It's a day that we're in, in the moment. And for each day that I'm fortunate enough to wake up, I have time for prayer, for meditation, for reading my meditation books, for um, listening to sponsees, calling my sponsor, being present. I get up at 6.30, um, and I don't have to be to work till noon most days. And I love the quiet dawn. I love, I'm, I'm a little bummed out that, you know, six, you know, I have to get up a little earlier if I want to see the dawn. It's, it's, it's not early enough right now, but at wintertime, it's, it's, it's dazzling to me to see the dawn come through our kitchen window because I never saw that. That isn't something that I experienced. And um, when I came back to program, um, when I was thinking about I should get some support, I should go to OA meetings, I should, you know, I, I should admit I'm a compulsive overeater and that weight loss surgery did not fix my problem of compulsive overeating. Um, I was um, thinking that I would just come and get some support. I wasn't going to go the whole nine yards. That wasn't the thought. The thought wasn't, you know, let's embrace the 12-step life and, and go back with, with um, zest and gusto for it. But to my quasi-agnostic, um, to my agnostic, uh, quasi-atheist mind, I could not... I could not say there was not a higher power after my my obsession had been removed upon asking. And the asking came from an extremely deep, sorrowful, hopeless state of mind and body. And one minute before I asked for that help, you couldn't have gotten me in this room. And so I have to be respectful of other people's paths and what their time frame is for getting here. And I have to remember that some of us don't make it. And be really 
gentle, just to be really gentle with the people that cross my path. I, I find that my life today is, well, I, I came out of disability. I um, came off of um, meg, a mega dose of pain medication that I took on a daily basis. I um, began to do um, very humble uh, jobs, little filing jobs here and there, and um, feeling like I had some worth. My husband was beside himself. He does not know who this woman is. Um, I, the picture, the small picture going around with my large picture is basically what I looked like when I got here. <laughs> Excuse me. So I didn't have, um, I had about, I've lost about 43 pounds um, since I've come back into the rooms. But they were the 43 pounds that defined my shape and, you know, let my face be seen. And um, they are very symbolic to me of, you know, what I was hiding behind. And um, the point that I was making before I went off to that tangent there is that um, my husband really does not recognize me as the same human being. When I get up in the morning, every morning, he greets me with the biggest smile because he's amazed that I'm up sometimes before him. Um, he sees me be useful. I bring home a paycheck. I share it with him. Not all of it. Um, I... Um, I do my breakfast dish, my breakfast dishes. Okay, what is what is the loving, kind thing I can do for my husband today? Not leave my dishes in the sink. Clean up after myself. Um, not leave my um, hairspray and my um, and my concealer wand um, on, on the shelf in the bathroom. I put them away. I take the small actions that lead to a, har a harmonious life. My um, my relationship with um, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous is um, uh, a rekindled romance. I absolutely love the book. My step work has been very fruitful. I am um, in the midst of my nine-step amends. When I when I came to and started writing my fourth step, a pattern clearly emerged, and um, all of my amends that I was going to need to make were all financial, and there's a program for that. So when I had a year of abstinence, I began back at that program. I took, I took what was clearly um, a lifelong addiction, and I addressed it at another podium, because we are of singleness of mind here. Our purpose is to is to help the compulsive overeater and to abstain so that we may do so. And I fully respect that. So my step work has been a hybrid of taking my fifth step and then, you know, taking my six, seven, eight, and nine um, with a different sponsor, and then now I'm continuing on my ten, and, um, and now I practice eleven and twelve. And the way that I do it is... I have 
15-minute segments with my sponsees in the morning, and I talk to people from 8 in the morning till 9 in the morning. So I've had plenty of time to do my own spiritual work so that it's not my human personality they're interacting with. Because I'm full of opinions and ideas on what they should do. But if I'm, if I'm centered and I'm God-centered, then I can actually hear what they're saying and I, and I can... Um, be more respondable, you know, I, I'm able to respond better when I'm not caught up in my own stuff. And it's a really quiet, well, I don't know, it's been really busy lately, but it's a really quiet life that I lead. And um, I love my quiet time. I, um, My husband and I live in a very small place, and um, it was our starter condo, and now it's our retirement villa. And we, um, we survived the crash of 08, but um, we have very little space, and we have learned to respect each other. So when I am meditating in the morning, my husband might be fixing his oatmeal at the same time, and yet I'm able to concentrate. I'm able to keep my mind um, centered on touching the hem of God, just touching the hem of the robe just to be in that space, not asking for anything, just wanting to be companionable and to feel that energy that tells me, yes, I've made contact. Oh, I'm getting chills. I, I, I have one morning a week that I only have a couple of minutes, literally five minutes for that. I have to be at a 7 a.m. meeting on Fridays, and I open that meeting, so God gets five minutes on Fridays. And... Um, uh, and it, it, um, it's hard for me to, that, 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 you know, otherwise I have to get up at 5 or 4.45, and I'm already getting up at 5.30, so that's enough for me. So, um, but I really don't like to leave the house without my prayer and meditation, and I don't think I took these two steps to heart, or the two parts of the 11th step, let me correct myself, to heart when I was in the program for nine years, ten years um, before. I was here for 14 years before I left. And I don't think I ever really sunk into the 11th step. It was, you know, I'd say the prayers by rote, um, and um, I'd write a gratitude list, and then I was out the door. And now I really get that it's my sustenance, and that I was carried through all of those years, and I have had to face some very um, intense childhood secrets, and I was the only one in my family in recovery, the only one facing it, and it was a lonely journey without all of you as companions because I had left. So... It is such a pleasure for me to have the fellowship of, of Overeaters Anonymous. And when it says in the book that you will have a replacement for that food, that comfort that we got from food, and it is, it is the fellowship. You know, when they wrote the book, there was no guarantee that, you know, one alcoholic was actually going to meet another sober alcoholic because 
there were very few groups. And if you didn't live in Ohio and you didn't live in New York City, you weren't going to meet another sober member. And the richness that we have here in Southern California and um, our ability to um, connect with other compulsive overeaters is so, so incredibly enriching. And I am truly grateful and, um, and again, humbled to be asked to come and share at your meeting. And um, what I've said is only my own experience, strength, and hope. If it doesn't speak to you, please just go to another meeting. If you're new, speak to some of us after the meeting. And um, I'm going to open up for questions at this time. Thanks. You're so welcome. The, the questioner said that she was very deeply moved by what I said. That's very humbling. When you have um, periods of, um, like these questions are trying to do, um, are there, let me that, okay. So are there times when you're more susceptible to the session of returning, like when you're family or um, tired or traveling or any of those circumstances are sick, does the session ever come in like when you're in a more vulnerable place? And if so, what do you do? My, okay, the question is, um, what have I done um, when the obsession may have returned or it feels like it might be returning? Um, I have been really blessed with the obsession not coming back. But I have had foods that I've had to take out of my food plan um, because they became problematic um, later on. And um, for me, the answer is committing my food, turning it in, preparing it in the morning as much of it as possible, and um, having it with me, having it prepared, because I would like to wing it. I liked to wing it, and winging it, that's what makes me vulnerable. So, you know, um, I'm, I'm, I feel like I do as much as I possibly can in terms of working my program, working my tools, so that the obsession stays lifted, if that makes any sense. But I was vulnerable to certain foods, and I did have to give them up, and I did have to reach out, and I did have to... Um, uh, you know, literally remove the foods from my house and tell my husband not to bring those foods in. And they might be foods on someone else's abstinence list, but it wasn't working for me, and it made me vulnerable. Thanks for your question. Deanna? Um, can you, well, it's a two-parter. Um, can you tell me a little bit about what meditation looks like for you? And the second part of that is, like, when do you, how do you know when you're hearing back from your higher power? Okay. So the question was, what does meditation look like for me, and how do I know when I'm hearing back from my higher power? Okay. So meditation for me is a twofold answer. Um, in the morning, I simply sit quietly in my office chair with my hands in my lap, palm up, and I 
I say to my, I, I actually say the first, uh, no, sorry, the third step prayer in my mind. And then I just breathe. And I have a physical sensation that comes over me that is so relaxing and so um, juicy. I mean, it's just this, you know, this incredible feeling of all is well. Don't look at politics. All is well. (laughs) And... That and I set a timer because I can get completely lost in that, and I do it for 15 or 20 minutes. And um, when do I know when I've heard an answer from God? Well, you know, it says in the big book, you know, having just um, started practicing, um, paraphrasing, of course, um, practicing listening and making conscious contact with my higher power, that I'm probably going to mistake. Um, some foolish things as, you know, God talking to me. And I certainly did back in the beginning. Now what I do is if I feel I've gotten an answer, I run it by my sponsor. Um, You know, I had a situation where I was offered a job and it seemed perfect for me and it seemed like the next indicated thing to do and it meant I had to leave a job part-time job that I really loved and take a risk and go to this full-time job. It seemed like that was God's plan. It seemed like I was getting this message. And so I gave notice and I took the new job. And it was a disaster. A disaster. And I took one giant step back. The woman I was training for my job hated it because I was having fantasies of talking her out of it. And um, went into the office and she said, oh, I just have to tell you that I gave notice today and, you know, I'm sorry for wasting your time and da 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 And I was overjoyed. So I don't think we can make mistakes because God gets to us. He gets us where we're going. And, you know, um, if, if, it, if it doesn't take me where I think it's going to take me, um, then, I can, then I can, oh, thank you, then I can go another direction. You know, and so it's trial and error for me. Absolutely. What's your abstinence like? How has it changed? My abstinence, because of my weight loss surgery. Oh, I'm sorry. The question was, what is my abstinence and how has it changed? Um, Because I physically changed my body with weight loss surgery, I had the Ruin Y, um, I cannot go more than three hours. Um, four is really stretching it without eating. And I have to eat 85 grams of protein a day um, because I don't absorb everything I eat. So my abstinence is, here's my bottom line abstinence, three meals a day, up to three snacks, and no recreational sugar, and I don't eat uh, refined flour. And um, there are, two of those snacks are qualified. Um, I can go into hypoglycemia, the real thing, um, shaking and um, become unable to function at all, and they warn that your, your organs can actually be damaged from that. If I feel that coming on, um, I, I, I you know, have a snack available to me, um, a, a couple slices of turkey, an apple, uh, whatever it is, and then... I usually make a call because I didn't necessarily plan. I didn't necessarily plan that snack, 
but I'm not going to let my kidneys shut down because I, I, I didn't know this was coming. So the framework is I've got up to three snacks, but I only eat one most every day. The way that my absence has changed is um, I got my food plan from a nutritionist. And um, she works with, you know, she happens to be someone who works with OA people. And, you know, whatever you tell her your red light foods are, she's going to help, you know, she helped me navigate around that. And um, she, she took my um, current weight. Um, this is over the phone. I gave her my current weight. I told her what I wanted to weigh. She told me, this is how many proteins you have. This is how many, you know, so she gave me the, the, the plan. So I did that plan, and part of it was I had two tablespoons of almond butter on my apple at the end of the day. That was my snack, and it was delicious and glorious. And after about five months, my weight loss really slowed down, and I looked at my sponsor and said, I guess the almond butter has to go. And um, uh, another thing that happened is um, I had... um, I had um, stewed fruit every day because there's physical problems that go along with the weight loss surgery. Nothing else worked. And um, lo and behold, abstinence works. And after, um, after a good nine months, I was able to move off of that. And, um, and that freed up um, more weight. And so it's you know, been in stages. And if something else shows up, that, that is either hindering me or may become problematic, then it's time to give that up as well. Because nothing, nothing tastes as good as that relationship with my higher power. Hi, Sarah. Um, Hi, Sarah. It was a really pleasant surprise to hear you say that you experienced like, just more integrity as a person, the, the ability to not cancel. Like, that really... That really struck, uh, struck me because I'm in that same boat. So I guess my question is, um, if you are that sort of person, I know I am right now, where you just have not been keeping promises to yourself or others for a long time, like how do you know you're ready to finally start doing that and not just say you're going to commit to the program and then like disappoint yourself like yet one more time? Like how do you know you're finally ready to have integrity, I guess? <laughs> um, okay, so the question was, how did I know that I was really ready to have integrity and to make a commitment um, without setting myself up for failure was basically how I heard that. And the answer is, there's never time too soon to start practicing. And so if I act as if today that I'm going to keep my word, and I put it down in my date book, and I say to my sponsor, I'm doing X, Y, and Z, I have a really good chance of doing X, Y, and Z. If I cut myself some slack and say, because I have fibromyalgia, so if I say, oh, well, I may be achy after work, I might not want to go and do that, you know, um, I'm going to feel achy after work. I am. And I am shocked and surprised at how well Tylenol works for those aches and pains. And um, it was just one day. Just one day, just this one day is the only day I have to keep my word. Just today. And that, and, and then all life is is stringing those days together and, and being in the only one you have, which is now, and reminding ourselves. And having an action buddy is really good. You know, bookending with people. I said I was going to do this, now I don't feel like it, and I know I need to for my integrity. 
you know, somebody who'll help you boot yourself out the door, you know. And that's what I did. I think my time is up. Oh, I have five minutes. Okay. Any more questions? In the back. Okay, did I have any difficulty getting along with any family members once I lost the weight? Um, I was the identified fatso in the family. So um, my getting to a, a, a normal weight, you know, going from a svelte size 32, you know, down to a 12, um, changed family dynamics. Absolutely. Um, I find that I have to stay, I have a sister that it comes into play with, and I have to stay out of her program, which is a different program than this, and invite her to stay out of mine. And um, I find that I have to hold her at a little arm's distance at this time. I'm hoping not always, but at this time I have to hold her at a little bit of an arm's distance because I take care of myself. I take care of myself. And um, uh, in the 80s when I was, you know, also at a natural normal weight, um, uh, there was a lot of push and pull with my mother who's no longer with me. And... Um, uh, I just had to work my program harder because, you know, the the tenth step is for me. Not that I practice it every single day, but the tenth step is for me, eyes on self. How do how do I participate? Because with my sister, I, I there's a there's a little barb that goes out. There's no question that I can get snarky. You know, I'm nice and humble and sweet here today, but um, I, I definitely have a snark when I when I want one, and. Um, uh, and our family is where it shows up, you know, that's ground zero, you know, that's, you know. So um, I think we all have that in common. And, and um, um, bookending is, again, is a really great, you know, if I have to go up and be with my family, I'll talk to somebody before I go, and then I'll talk to somebody when I'm leaving. And sometimes I'll talk to somebody in the bathroom while I'm there. I mean, when you talked about that, that day that you surrendered, um, is there any way that you can pinpoint what it was that brought you to surrender? It was Thanksgiving weekend of 2014. I was eating a kind of candy that comes in a roll and you just pop it out of the little thing and they were going down really easy. And I had bought eight rolls of this candy. And mind you, X amount of sugar makes me very sick because of the surgery. And so I would have to stop for a while, and then I'd get them back out again. And at 11.30 at night, I live in lovely downtown Reseda. And at 11.30 at night, I ran out of the candy. And I was, my husband was away. He had gone up to his sister's for Thanksgiving weekend. And... I was seriously considering going out in my car at 11.30 at night to the 7-Eleven to get more candy. And it was not safe to do that. And the point at which I was looking for my keys is when I had that moment of clarity of, oh, my God, look at what you're doing. Look at what you've made your, your you know, look at what you made your life about. 
these candies. I mean, before that, it was, you know, a different kind of candy or medjool dates or, you know, or, you know, it's something. It's the ism. And I had that moment of clarity that whether I like it or not, I've been practicing a, um, a practicing compulsive overeater who is in her disease. And in that, that clarity was like a flash of lightning. And that's when I asked. That's when I asked for the gift. And with that, I say thank you very much. Thank you.